Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott. Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the word out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community, and their profession. I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is presented by The Profitability Coach. When business owners want to increase their profitability, often they don't have the expertise to know where to start or what to do. I leverage my knowledge and relationships from 32 years as a banker to identify the hurdles getting in the way and create a plan to deliver profitability they never thought possible. We have three great guests on the show today. Ben Gibson, who's Executive Director with J.P. Morgan Chase. Ben, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. We also have Jonathan Holmes, who's Managing Partner of Mighty 8 Media. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. And John Marsh, who is the founder of Bristol Group. John, welcome to Profit Sense. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. And so, Ben, I'm going to start with you. So, uh, banking is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, as you know, with my banking background. You've got over right. 20 years of banking and advisor experience. You know, what are some of the biggest lessons learned over your career? Uh, hey, hey, Bill. Good, glad to be here with you guys. Um and I appreciate humbled by the opportunity to, to speak on your podcast. Been a big fan for a number of years now. Um, you know, to your question, you're right. Been in the industry for 20 plus years. And, you know, for me, I've been able to hold on to what I probably consider some truths. Truths. And one of the truths that I've um, kind of gathered over time is one that character really matter- matters. Um you know, uh, that's one of the C's of credit is character. I've, I kind of lean into that one as one of the top ones that I, I think about outside of the numbers, outside of the industry and the businesses that I work with. Character really matters, matters as I deal with companies, but as also as they engage with their, their customers, they engage with their employees, um, things like being consistent in their approach, um, having integrity, um, word that that goes around a lot but i think it means a a whole lot servant leadership those types of things really matter um i would say also uh the numbers don't lie that's another truth um that i've learned i started my career off on the underwriting side of things from a banking perspective and was able to really dig into a lot of numbers and analysis early on in my career um and that's just proved to be very beneficial for me over the years and I found that, you know, when something's shaky in the numbers that I look at, um, more than often it plays out over time. And so it's best to kind of address those those things in, on the front end and, and see what the story lies behind that. And then I would say the other truth that I would um, kind of lean into over 20 years is, is that cycles really matter and are important. Um, they're all cycles in the business. Business cycles are inevitable. And so I think the smart business owners out there, even the smart bankers, understand cycles and they position themselves prior to a cycle up or down um, to have a consistent approach um, and to be prepared for those cycles. So those are some of the things that I picked up over the last 20 years. 
Ben, that's kind of a trifecta of wisdom there. I mean, first, uh, character is so important. Uh, the five C's, that one's the first. Uh, num- mm-hmm. Numbers don't lie. Uh, the language of a business is accounting. And uh, business owners need to speak the language, says Warren Buffett. And right. and the third was cycles. Yeah, we're, we're definitely, uh, we're cycling right now, for sure. And so... Yeah. We're talking this morning with Ben Gibson, who's relationship executive in the middle market banking group covering the Georgia middle market. And Ben utilizes the expansive JP Morgan Chase product platform to companies with annual revenues from 20 to 100 million, offering cash management, credit, investment banking, international banking, wealth management, and an array of other solutions. Um, Ben, talking about uh, the current business and economic client that we're all interacting with. Uh, what is it that you're most excited about regarding current business, economic climate, and what concerns you most? So kind of a two-parter. Uh, what are you most excited about and what concerns you the most? Um, good question. Um, most concerned, I think the advent of continued technology into businesses really excites me. Um, that's I love to see businesses reinventing themselves, industries going through change from a technological perspective. Um, I think that's just really exciting. I think technology is, is something that's constantly changing, as we all know. Um, and so as a, as a result, businesses should be changing. And um, I love it when I am able to engage with businesses and, um, and industries and see techno- the technology kind of advancing from that perspective. Um, I think with the... Um, the continuation of just the M&A market and, and the, the activity around baby boomers coming out of the market. Um, we're going to see a whole new generation of owners. And with that, it's going to bring um, continued technology, technological advantage, advances as well. So excited about that. Um, I would say what most concerns me, um, I would say the potential of the inability for businesses to engage with the current workforce. Um, And so it's kind of a a, a opposite of what I just mentioned as far as what I'm excited about the, you know, what, what does concern me is there are certain industries and um, certain places, certain businesses that have not really uh, taken upon themselves to engage the workforce as is today. Um, and, and they're they're paying the price now over years of you know of not being able to do that and really think through a, a creative lens to do that. So a little a little concerned about that because the workforce is changing, um, and I hope businesses can change right along with it. And we've got uh, actually four different generations uh, in the workplace, and each of those generations probably has their own unique needs as it relates to work. Uh, certainly uh, throwing COVID and a lot of uh, uh, workplaces going remote had an impact, but, but I, but I certainly agree uh, with you on those concerns. So I have had the privilege of, of watching your career. Uh, You've not only grown from success, but also to significance. So I want to ask you, you know, what do you enjoy most about your current role as a banking advisor in the Atlanta market? Well, you know, after 20 years of doing this um, and, um, you know, I've done it when I was single, now married, children, um, and, you know, spent a couple of decades out there. 
you know, that's a question I ask myself quite a bit, right? <laughs> what do I really enjoy about it? Sometimes you can get into the 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 rigor of just a job and doing it over a period of time and become second nature. But I think it's always good to really ask the question of yourself, what do you enjoy? And I would say, um, the, hands down, the thing that I enjoy the most is being able to help people, uh, being an advisor and helping people. Um, that's what gets me excited. Um, I love to lean into, you know, somewhat difficult situations, sometimes complex situations with clients and figure out solutions. I love to bring people to bear around organizations I work with uh, to help with those solutions. Um, I love connecting people with networks um, of people that I know um, to bring new insights and education to, to business owners. Um, so I would say hands down, helping people really gets me excited. Um, outside of that, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, I would probably have to figure out what else I need to do if I couldn't figure out how to help people in my current career. Well, I've uh, certainly watched your career and, and you are clearly a helper. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of business owners that, that struggle with ownership issues, management issues, uh, financial right. issues. Uh, we're talking this morning with uh, uh, Ben Gibson, and personally, uh, Ben is a magna cum laude graduate and 40 under 40, awarded alum at Georgia State University. Uh, he's married with children, and his hobbies include reading, listening to music, and watching movies and sports. Uh, ben, I want to kind of shift the conversation a little bit to talk a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, Business owners uh, need advice from bankers. Uh, sometimes bankers also need advice from from business owners. Uh, but based on you know twenty years of experience in the market working with business owners, what advice would you give business owners when working with bankers in this current environment? Um, in this current environment, I think you know if we're thinking about the inflation and some of the things that a lot of businesses are encountering some some slowdown in certain industries. Um, I think most bankers, most banks in our, our environment, particularly in the Southeast and Georgia, probably thinking about the types of loans that they're bringing on. And so if you are looking at, um, you know, borrowing money for the first time from a bank or even going back to the well in a sense to get additional capital, um, debt capital, I would say, being very honest about what you perceive as challenges ahead um, and expressing that, showing that you have knowledge around what those challenges are. Um, I think that that breeds honesty and trust uh, with, with the banks, with the bankers you're working with. I would also say um, also being prepared to show um, how are you looking to, to, to kind of address those challenges? Uh, how are you looking to make adjustments as a business owner with any potential challenges that you see ahead of time. I think a lot of times, particularly with small business owners, those who are closely held businesses, um, you know, they get very excited as entrepreneurs normally do around their business and tell the, the, the most positive sides of the business. Um, but I think that the, the trust goes a long way when you're able to really elaborate on what the challenges could be for your business and your industry. Yeah, if you're only uh, talking about the good and not throwing in some of the challenges, uh, you're really only telling half the story. And right. the reality is I, I was reminded this morning I was talking to a, a business owner that's going from small to big 
uh, great book out there titled No Man's Land, written by Doug Tatum. Uh, there's yeah. five M's. Uh, I think the challenges for many business owners are around management, money, momentum, mm-hmm. marketing. Uh, and there's one other that it, that escapes me. So Pretty good. That's, yeah. that's excellent <laughs> advice and uh, uh, takes me thinking to a, a book that I was referring to. Um, you know, last question, and, and this has just been great time spent with you and, and uh, uh, the wisdom that you can share with our audience. Um, talking about banking, what are some of the most important factors that you look at when deciding which businesses you prefer to work with? Again, I would kind of lean on what I mentioned earlier around character, but I would say mostly as it relates to management, character, and also competency um, would probably be the second addition to management that I look at, um, you know, as an important factor as it relates to management, you know, really the character pieces I mentioned earlier, but also, you know, that they're competent around their business. They know um, what's going on. Right. And if they don't know exactly all the ins and outs of every aspect, right, they have people that they work with, um, that they partner with here in the business that has a good handle on those things. I think that's one of the more important factors. And then around just the business itself, um, I'm a big fan of healthy balance sheets. Um, I've just seen, you know, been able to now go through my third recession in, in, in the industry and um, I've just seen time and time again, the businesses that come out, um, you know, maybe a little injured, but come out whole and able to really just fight another day out of a recession, particularly out of the Great Recession, those that had healthy balance sheets. And so um, I think that's just a level of discipline um, that has to take place in order for businesses to, to do that. Um, has to be a long term view, um, not to take more money out of the business than is needed not to over lever the business, um, you know, that the balance sheet really pays, plays a big, plays a big piece. And then lastly, I would say around the business, um, you know, just the reliability of cash flow. Um, a lot of times, you know, most times as, as bankers, we have to look at historical cash flow to get a, a general view of the business, but historical results, results aren't uh, indicative of what the future may, may bring. And so the more that, um, the business can stru- be structured to have a reliable cash flow stream. I think that that really um, helps them in this current environment. So really good bookends on our conversation this morning. I'm going to remember the uh, trifecta of wisdom that you shared uh, earlier. <laughs> Numbers don't lie. Uh, character. Uh, and then at the end, you know, you're preaching to the choir here, man. The balance sheet is more important than the income statement. Uh, you're looking at your liquidity, you're looking at how you're turning that right. inventory, uh, and, right. and then lastly, uh, predictable cash flow. Uh, ben, anyone in our listening audience that wants to get in touch with you, what's what's the best way for them to do that? Is there a phone number or email that you can share with us? Yeah, sure. Uh, my email is ben.gibson, ben.gibson at chase.com. Um, that's my email. And then the phone number is 404-901-7985. Ben, it's been absolutely great having you on the show. Appreciate the banking wisdom that you have shared and uh, uh, looking forward to a lot more success and a lot more significance in your in your career. So thanks for coming on Profit Sense today. 
Thank you so much. It's been a, a, a real privilege. Again, big fan. Um, I'm glad we've had a good relationship over the years, Bill. And it's, it's just great to see how you're giving um, all this great insight and bringing all these great uh, guests on to, to really help business owners. So I appreciate appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, we're going to shift the conversation now to Jonathan Holmes, uh, Jonathan's man- managing partner with Mighty 8th Media. Jonathan, I really want to just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, the why of starting uh, the Mighty Eighth. So why did you start the Mighty Eighth? When we started Mighty Eighth, we wanted to do something a little different from the standpoint of being able to focus solely on our clients and not necessarily worry about a product or kind of who we are. Um, One of the things specifically is that we had seen um, individuals focus on strictly the financial and also positioning of the company themselves. And so we wanted to make sure that we led by what we felt like is the true interest in the client. And as we went through that process, um, understanding the way that you treat your vendors, understanding the way you treat your employees, understanding the way that you um, treat people overall is so important. And also when we started the agency, we wanted to make sure that we there were no agendas and so we are very specific about how we do things, how we manage money and looking at directly as far as any type of purchases or buys we do on behalf of the client. So we're able to be transparent in the way we track success for an individual client too. So there's transparency there. So we're working in partnership with not as a, what I consider overbearing consultant, shall we say. Sure. I love that. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's a story that you can share around the name. Uh, with our audience as well. So the mighty eighth for people that are not in the, in the aviation business or kind of consider what I consider war two buffs. Um, the mighty eighth um, was actually started in Savannah and it's actually something that the people of Georgia can be very proud. And the eighth air force started and was instrumental in turning the tide of the German invasion in Europe. And the mighty eighth was actually created um as basically one of the first parts of the Air Force that we know it now. And the thing we like about it is that, number one, it's from Georgia. Number two, it was what I consider your old guard, what I consider your true heroes, what I consider men that really, you know, actually, you know, didn't have care as far as their own life, but really cared about us as a country and went over there and did a great job. And so obviously paying homage to that. And there's actually a museum in Savannah called the Mighty Eighth, and it's basically around War II aviation and the men that really helped um, fight in War II and what I consider a role model for all of us. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into this even a little bit more later, but uh, in the way that uh, the Mighty Eighth in the Air Force uh, was the turning point, uh, maybe also we'll find out a little bit about the Mighty Eighth media as being a turning point in someone's uh, overall marketing strategy. So so maybe we can talk a little bit more about that later. So we're talking this morning with Jonathan Holmes, who's the managing partner of Mighty 8th Media. Jonathan is co-founder, uh, full-service marketing and creative agency. Uh, the agency was founded in 2005 and has grown to be an Inc. 5000 top 50 marketing agencies in Atlanta. And so, Jonathan, I want to talk a little bit about your your operational philosophy. Uh, could you share uh, with me and our audience uh, a little bit about that? So one of the first things, and this is kind of us and my business partner and my team, kind of what I consider having just a true 
just kind of how is your business mentality is that we really want to sit down with somebody and say, how is business? You know, what are some of the issues you have? What are some of the things that keep you up at night? And then from there too, is that um, as the prior gentleman mentioned, as far as, you know, balance sheet, as well as where you get your money from, we have to know where people are growing, how they're growing and why they want to grow. And so, we look at kind of the way they're really modeling the business, the way they actually engage, engage with their customers, and also, you know, what are their dreams and aspirations. And one of my favorite things is when we'll sit down with someone and they'll um, have a particular product or have a service that they want to market, but they aren't really telling the story accurately. Uh, one day, um, many years ago, one of our first major clients we found out was spending 75% of the revenue, 75% of the marketing dollars on 12% of the revenue. And so we looked mm-hmm. at that as a model because we felt like that they weren't really spending the money or actively pursuing what I consider would be a fertile market and the growth that they need to look at. And so it's really beyond marketing. It's really how are you growing your business? What's the sectors you want to look at? And then what's going to be most effective as far as where you want to grow? Because at the end of the day, you're either going to garner new business from your current customers or you're going to acquire other businesses from other businesses. So it's really looking at that strategy or you're going to look at ge- geographical as far as how you're doing that. And so it's we look at strategy around those many components. And then also um, we're not emotionally tied to a particular product, whether it is a digital media campaign, whether it's a video production or whether it's individual um web stuff or any other tools we use we use just like the mighty eight to use the weapon that the best for fighting that particular battle and so we grow businesses in many different ways based on their individual market sector and individual competition yeah and i've found it appears that in my experience the number one weakness in a growing firm is marketing have you found that to be true in your experience as well well one of the things too when (laughs) and i'll take this on a on a personal note is when i Actually, one of the things we sit down with the business is that I ask people all day long, I'm 5'8 on a good day. I said, why do you think that I'm not being recruited to play a center for the Hawks? <laughs> there are two things. One is that I'm 5'8 on a good day. And second, I have very limited ball skills. Right. And so also, I can lament every day of what I can't do. But also in businesses, people a lot of times feel they look at other businesses, they look at other leaders, and they say, I've got to be this person. I've got to be this high-powered executive. When no, they really, we need to look at who they are, their strengths and weaknesses, and their company's strengths and weaknesses, and tell that true story and find the customers that connect best with that business. And that's what we love doing the most is because, like I said, is that I want to find a guy that's five, eight, or six foot and – runs a good successful business but it's not telling his story the right way or in it they don't understand maybe some of the goods and services and do it the right way but based on building who they are and the employees where they connect with their customers so it sounds really like part of that is um, they're focused on who they would like to be versus focusing on who they truly exactly, are exactly exactly and building their messaging and branding around that and one of my favorite things too is that we're also working with some folks and some other companies will look at what other people are doing and try to replicate what their cut what their what their competition is doing well that's the worst thing you can do because basically you're you're trying to keep up you're kind of not building your own pathway you're not building your engine you're not really building who you are and so you're kind of chasing your tail all the time that's such a great point. And so uh, uh, I also know that you and Mighty Eighth are very community-minded. 
Uh, so why do you feel it's important for a business to give back and be involved in the community? I think in that situation, it's just kind of, it's not, it's just who we are. Bradley, myself, my business partner is that I feel like in the situation, you can't just build a business and not try to take care of your employees, take care of the community or take care of people that are around you. Um, this area, the Metro market has been fantastic to our agency. And so you look as far as how you're doing this is that it's part of it is that you've got to give back. You've got to care for people, but also is that in that is that to me, you really feel that you have the heart of the business, heart of people that you're connecting with. And that's so important because you've got to leave this world a better place. It's just at the end of the day, that's just who you got. That's just who I am. That's who I feel like that you need to be. Yeah. Because I feel like that it's just, a, it's a win-win situation. It's like, it's a kind of a why not, or why would you not? So. Right. Right. That's, uh, that's really awesome. Uh, we're talking this morning with Jonathan Holmes with Mighty Eighth Media. Uh, his agency has been awarded best places to work in Atlanta uh, in 2013, 14, 15, 19. Uh, and best places to work in Georgia, top 10, uh, and top three. Uh, Jonathan personally is highly trained professional in accounting, nonprofit operations, marketing, web, and strategic planning with over 35 years of hands-on experience in revenue growth, organizational development, brand repositioning, and entrepreneurial startups. And so, Jonathan, I want to talk about, you know, what are some of the companies Mighty Eighth supports to grow their business. One of the ones that you would recognize the most is if you're riding down the interstate, there's a Georgia state peach pass. Ah. And um, there's some exciting things that are happening with peach pass as you deal with traffic and also from a lifestyle brand. And so we're excited that we're the agency record for state rural toy authority. That's awesome. I was on it yesterday as a matter of fact, (laughs) (laughs) but also, one of our other clients is Pinnacle Bank, based out of Elberton, one of the largest community banks in Georgia. And Gwinnett County Public Schools is also a client of ours. And so um, we look at the individual and the institution as far as, again, kind of that match for us from a culture standpoint, is that that's so important to us instead of the product. We look at the vision and kind of what they're going to do, kind of a legacy aspect of it when we try to make a match. That's excellent. Um so I want to now talk a little bit about the tagline for the Mighty Eighth. Uh, let's make history. So what does your tagline, let's make history, mean for you and your firm? Well, to me, let's make history is not about us, but it's about the individual customers we work with. And part of it is that, you know, as you look at yourself in your life, is that what's your legacy going to be? What what do you want to leave? How do you want to impact? And let's make history to me is as a company, what do you want to be known for? And what do you want history to say about you as a company or say as far as leadership is that how have you taken care of your customers? Have you taken care of your employees and how have you taken care of your community? So let's make history is basically assessing the legacy that you leave, but also the impact that you're going to have as a company and serving your clients the best way you can. So this happens to be reminding me of another book. I don't know why I'm on a book theme today, Jonathan, but, uh, Bob Buford wrote such a great book called Halftime, and it, while it describes a person, it really describes what you're talking about, um, a person climbing the corporate ladder chasing dollars in the first half of their life. If, it, if it's a football analogy, they go into halftime 
the second half of their life, they come out playing for purpose and mm-hmm. meaning. Right. And really what you're talking about is you're talking about making history for your clients, uh, helping them uh, derive their purpose, their meaning, how they're giving back to the community, how they're running a successful business. But even beyond that success is how they're running a significant business. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So that's wonderful. Um, so why are you such an advocate for the arts and the creative economy? So part of it is that if you might have seen a couple film studios coming to Georgia. Uh-huh. One or two. Exactly. <laughs> and also some of the folks that recognize Georgia as a great place to do business. And part of it is that um, there are a lot of economic development folks that work in the state. And they're working every day to make sure they're trained for manufacturing, making sure that you've got tools they need, you know, particularly like maybe around the welding, HVC, things like that. And so when I'm working on a plan specifically for Gwinnett County, also for the state, so we are intentional about how we're training folks to have talents that are basically very simple along the same lines, where it could be something like some of the technology we use in here, how to set it up, video hands, lighting, things that will support those creative industries, but also the creative industries about the gaming industry, the metaverse that's coming, some of the digital things that are out there, and some of the kids, they might run around with their phones a little bit, and so there's interest there on that part. And so basically it's either we as an organization and a state are intentional about economic development around those sectors instead of waiting for someone or the movie, movie executive to come to town. So why can't we have our own industry? But also, full disclosure, my mother was a teacher. Ah. And so another, another way I see this is that this is also a way where kids will be engaged at an early age and use this just like you have athletic programs that, train and keep kids in school. This is also a mechanism I want to use as far as engaging kids at the school age in these vocations. And then they stay in school and understand the crafts that they can do if they have a creative enterprise behind them. Yeah. What a, what a great thought. And uh, so my wife was a middle school math teacher and a preschool director. And so uh, we have, we have a teacher in our family as well. What a, what a great purpose and a great idea. Thanks for sharing that. If someone wants to get in touch with you or Mighty Eight, uh, what is the best way to do that? We have an amazing website, Mighty Eight, that's m8th.com, or my email address is Jonathan, J O N A T H A N, at the letter M, the number 8th.com, or my office number is 770-271-3001. Jonathan, it has been great having you on the show. Appreciate you exp- uh, sharing your not only your experience, but your expertise in the marketing area. I appreciate you having us. Thank you so much. John Marsh, founder of Bristol Group. John, we're going to talk business exit planning uh, and, and related topics around that. Uh, but uh, first, let's get to, as we begin uh, to get close to the end of the year, uh, let us know what you've seen in the past 12 months and maybe a little bit about what you see for the next 12 months on the horizon. Yeah, absolutely. I did um, anticipate this question, so I brought my crystal ball. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, left it in the trunk, so I will, I'll do my best. But yeah, it's, it's been a great time for business owners. The past 12 months have been very active. Um, you know, we've closed the largest deals in our history here at the Bristol Group. Um, congratulations. Uh, yeah, it's, well, congratulations to our clients. Right? They have they have really put the hard work in, and I come in at the end and, and help them monetize what they've built. Um, so it's, it's been a great time, very competitive, multiple offers, higher multiples. Um, 
and 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 I should keep talking because I don't know that I want to talk about what's coming. Uh, partly because we don't know, but also because there is some uncertainty in the market. Sure, um, you know, interest rates going up, but private equity is still raising money, um, still doing very well as far as raising these committed capital funds. So we don't think deals are going away. Um, hopefully, this is is a short recession, right? But um, it doesn't negate the fact that business owners or businesses are still going to transact and business owners still need to be prepared for that eventual transaction or transition. So there are things we can all be doing regardless of what the economy is doing. Um, but we do feel that, you know, multiples will, will start going down um, and they have to, right? They've, they've been at historical highs for quite some time now. So, but still, I, th- I, th- I think it's still going to be a good time for business owners who've built successful businesses uh, to, to exit those businesses over the next 24 months. Uh, it seems to me like there is still a fair amount of institutional money on the sidelines. Uh, and certainly those valuations have been supported in that the demand for purchasing businesses has been high because the, uh, the amount of money on the sidelines is high. Uh, so have we cycled through some of those uh, uh, funds that are maybe sitting on the sidelines, or do you still see that there's a fair amount of money supply uh, chasing deals. Yeah, I still feel like there's there's plenty of money out there. We're getting uh, emails every day from our private equity network saying that they've closed another fund, that, um, that, that the deals are still out there, or that, that capital is still being raised. Sure, that's slowing. Sure, it's not going to go at the rapid pace. But um, the example that we like to use or we hear is that you know we've been going at 120 miles an hour for quite some time now. We're still going fast at 90 we may be only at 90 right now, but we're still going pretty fast. So again, there is going to be, I'm not naive to say that there's not going to be some, some slowdown. There will be, um, but it's still, it's still going to be, uh, deals are still going to get done. And, and, I, and I think they're going to be at fair multiples, right? I mean, we haven't seen any compression in multiples yet. We, we just haven't. Um, but we are, we are hearing, hearing that coming and um, we just need to be prepared for that. Yeah, I think we can we can certainly temper some of that with uh, their the baby boomer generation is retiring. Uh, you know, until the millennials came on, I think we were the largest uh, uh, workforce by population, uh, business owners, uh, and so a lot of that uh, still is going to continue. Right. Although maybe uh, because of uh, because of economic circumstances, maybe. Some baby boomers are uh, considering working longer. We're talking this morning with John Marsh, who's the founder of Bristol Group. Uh, John is a successful cross-functional executive with experience leading and strengthening finance, accounting, and operations in organizations. Uh, he's held a v- variety of executive roles, including CFO, VP of Supply Chain and Planning, and EVP of Finance and Operations during his 17-year career in those roles. So, John, I want to kind of follow up with, uh, you know, uh, you talk to business owners every day. Uh, what key things do you hear from those uh, that are prepared for a successful exit and transition? Yeah, uh, we, we could talk about this for days, right? Um, you, you and Ben mentioned it earlier with, um, you know, the language of business is accounting. So I don't expect every business owner to have an MBA or a master's degree in accounting, but they should have someone on their team, whether internal or external, right. who understands those numbers um, and can explain fluctuations in the business. So understanding and having your pulse on the finger 
or your, excuse me, your finger on the pulse of the business is, is, is important. Um, one of the things that I've seen over the last 12 months is owners being emotionally ready to be, to transition to what we call life 2.0. Oh, okay. Um, there's obviously we all as business owners are, are, are engaged with our business, care about it a lot, sometimes spend, um, hours after or after hours worrying about the business and that's normal. But those folks who are ready to make that transition, I find that they don't get as bogged down in the emotions. This process is emotional. It's not a smooth process and it's not easy. If it was, I, I, I'd be looking for another job, <laughs> but um, you know, those, those folks who understand or know what they're going to do in life 2.0 or in some situations, we, we sold a fire protection business to private equity this, this summer and those business owners retained 20% of that business. Their lives have not changed a whole lot. They were able to uh, put some cash in their pocket, the proverbial chips off the table, and and continue operating the business that they've grown and that they love. Um, so, it, but, but they were ready for that. They knew what that's what they, we knew that's what they wanted when we went into the process of marketing the business. Um, it's those business owners who say, I don't know, or, or I don't have a plan. They don't have a hobby. They, they say, Oh, I can't spend, um, every day after at home with my wife, you know, not, <laughs> we maybe shouldn't get into that, but, um, the point is you have to be ready for, for what's next. And, and I think those business owners who, who have an idea and are prepared for that are, are more likely to have a successful transition. Other things like management teams, uh, diversification of customer base, um, understanding EBITDA. We talked about the language of business, but 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 those are just some of the things that, that business owners can do now, well in advance of an exit. Yeah, you know that uh, that typical business owner generally has their head down. Uh, they're working in the business, maybe not working on the business. Um, the idea, all of a sudden, you know, they're uh, approaching retirement. Uh, it's like this periscope goes up, you know, the sub comes up to the service. Oh my gosh, I'm going to retire. That's right. And you know, your point is so well made about, uh, you're not only going from something, but you're also going to something Sure. and, uh, and being able to define what that, what that something is, um, is, is I think critical. Uh, I guess, there's also a, a theme that I've seen emerge uh, talking about uh, how business owners build transferable value. And, mm-hmm. and if I could, I'd kind of like to explain what I mean by that and maybe get you to weigh in. So a lot of times I've heard that the value of a business is the business minus the value related to that business owner. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, maybe a solopreneur who's built a successful business, but that business is built totally around him or her. Uh, They don't actually transfer the value. So I'm kind of wondering, could you maybe weigh in based on your experience about what, what business value actually transfers and how important is transferable value uh, to maybe a future purchaser? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, in a lot of situations we run, um, uh, we run across business owners who have a job. They don't have a business. They have a job. And and there's nothing wrong with that if that's your goal, but that's not as transferable um, as, as those business owners who have a team, a manager. Um, that business runs without them. They can go, you were just in, in on vacation. They can go on vacation and that business still runs, right? Uh, that's transferable value. Um, 
those business owners who who have a job and and who are who, who are needed to keep operating that business those aren't as easy to transfer and if they are there's going to be that's going to be reflected in the deal it's going to be reflected in the structure whether that's through an earnout a longer transition period so um, I don't know if I'm answering your question appropriately but 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 my thought there is do all that you can to work yourself out of a job mm-hmm. or just realize that you're building something that may not have as much transferable value uh, if, if you just go into that decision consciously at the beginning, right? I mean, we think about an exit. I tell business owners to think about an exit every six months, yeah, even if they're advice. 24 years old, yeah. right? I mean, what are you doing today that's going to make your business more valuable? Yeah. And sometimes you can say to yourself, you know what? I'm okay earning a salary and not being able to transfer this business. Um, on the flip side of that, I hate it when I hear a business owner say, oh, when I retire, I'm just going to close the doors down. Yeah. Um, you know, th- Maybe there is transferable value, and that's where I would encourage you to pick up the phone and call you, call me, come some, call someone who can, who has experience in this to, to really give you an idea of the value of the business and understand how that business is operating to determine if there is transferable value. Yeah, yeah, you did a great job answering that question. That was, that was spot on and definitely what I was looking for. <clears throat> John started his career with the accounting firm Ernst & Young in Atlanta. He's worked with both startups and a large private equity-owned medical device manufacturer, uh, which he played an integral role as part of the leadership team that scaled it and then sold it. Uh, further, he leverages his significant mergers and acquisition experience to help entrepreneurs successfully transition business ownership. So, John, as we kind of bring our, our conversation to a close, which I've thoroughly enjoyed today, um, business exit planning is very top of mind for business owners that I see. So uh, I'd really like for you to weigh in on what are some of the key issues that you see come up in your deals? Yeah, we, we touched on emotions. This is an emotional process. I had a call with a, a client. We've got a, we're under LOI. I had a call with him yesterday and I just asked him to breathe, <laughs> take a <laughs> breath. <laughs> Let's not create issues for us to fight uh, because it is emotional. This is your baby. So being prepared to, to, yeah. to transition is that, important. That buyer sometimes is calling that baby ugly. Which ah, is what, that's is, right. Is what is uh, uh, creating that emotion? Yeah. yeah. Well, they, we uh, we don't let buyers do that. They can say it to me, but I don't relay that to the client. <laughs> um, but no, post closing involvement, right? So what are you? What's your role going to look like uh, post acquisition? Access to employees and customers when you really let open the bag to to to, to let the buyer see, you know what's under the hood. A lot of business owners make a mistake going in unrepresented where they open the book and say, Hey, here's what we've got pre LOI sometimes. And sometimes without a confidentiality agreement, that's a huge mistake. And, and, and I would encourage people not to do that. Of course, um, working capital, you know, working capital, I spend a lot of time explaining what working capital is and how that is impacted in a, in a transaction like that. Um, but generally, the, the 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 process is a hard, long process. It's not simple. It takes you know nine to twelve months to sell a business on average. Due diligence can last anywhere from forty five to one hundred and twenty days. So there's patience in this process, and you have to be patient. Uh, you can't ride the roller coaster, or I encourage them not to ride the emotional roller coaster that comes with every conversation that they have with a buyer. Yeah, such uh, uh, such important things in in. John, your reputation preceded you. I've been looking forward to uh, having you on the show. Uh, I've heard a lot from several bankers and, and accountants about the great work that you're doing 
to help business owners transition, transition value. If someone who happens to be listening uh, wants to get in touch with you, what's what's the best way for them to reach you and, and the Bristol Group? Yeah, thanks, Bill. I appreciate that compliment. Um, you can call me. My cell phone number is uh, 770-313-4579. Email address is jmarsh at bristolgroupatl.com. And be on the lookout. We're going to have a new brand here in the first quarter of 2022. Three. I wish I knew Jonathan at that time, but uh, anyway, excited to announce that. But thanks for having me on today, Bill. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. So in closing, I want to kind of address what some business owners have been thinking about uh, and talk about the one thing. There's a lot of talk flying around about the economy, whether we're headed into a recession or even if we're already in one. As a business owner, recession can be a scary word, holds a lot of unknowns, and brings up a lot of emotions. So whether you are whether you think we're already in a recession, headed for one, or want to be prepared for one in the future, my number one piece of advice is to create a financial scorecard for your business. You can't manage what you don't measure. It's important to be able to look at the trends of your numbers, not just a snapshot of one month or year end, The main areas to track on your scorecard are profitability, both gross and net, activity, how are you collecting your receivables and managing your inventory, liquidity, how much cash you have on hand, you know cash is king, they say, and leverage, how much debt to equity do you have. Watching for trends will help you understand what areas of the business you should be paying attention to. Don't be tempted to stick your head in the sand as soon as you hear the word recession. Businesses can weather the storm if they're prepared. Having a scorecard and watching your trends can take you from financial confusion to clarity and prepare you to come out strong on the other side. If you want to keep up with the latest in pro business news, follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at The Profitability Coach. If you want to listen to past or future ProfitSense episodes, you can find us on ProfitSenseRadio.com. This is ProfitSense with Bill McDermott signing off. Make it a great day.